divorce. First of all, you need to honor the love. And that's really hard, of course, especially in horrible divorces. My dad is a divorce lawyer, so I, I grew up hearing dinner table stories of what people did to each other. And yet, there was love. And we know that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Hate can come only where there were feelings. It doesn't have to have been love. But if you have loved, which presumably if you were married at some point there was, whether it was a full healthy love or not so healthy of a love, nonetheless there was love. And it's important to realize that just because someone is gone, whether due to divorce, whether death, that love for them still can exist within us. And that's really important to remember because one of the confounding factors in divorce is how could I have been so stupid? How could I have trusted? When you say self-forgiveness, well, a lot of that is how could I have been duped? How did I allow myself to be made such a fool of? Well, you loved. And honor that love and realize that even though that person may have proven him or herself to be totally unworthy of your love, that doesn't diminish the quality of your love. Love exists within you. You, you manufacture that. The other person may be the catalyst for whom you decided to turn on your love manufacturing plant. They may have created an environment that made it feel safe to turn it on. But ultimately that love manufacturing plant is in you, not in them. And the reason that you know that is if you think about the loved one, while you still love them, getting on an airplane and flying across the world or even just going to the kitchen or the grocery store, your experience of love does not diminish with physical distance. If the love existed in them, you would feel less the further that they were, right? You have an air conditioner. Sit under the air conditioner, you get a lot of cold air. Go 20 feet away, you get less cold air. Go 100 feet away, you get no cold air. Get in a plane, fly across the world. Yeah, right. Are we going to benefit by an AC on in LA right now? Of course not. But love isn't like that. Love is in you, not in them. And that's important because that love manufacturing plant is an essential part of who you are. And when you are betrayed by someone, 
on any level. You lose not only that person, but a lot of us then start to try to turn off our love manufacturing plant. And then we lose twice. So you have to first realize the love is beautiful, love is within you, and love loves regardless of whether the other person deserves it or not. So allow yourself to continue to experience that love. Doesn't mean that you have to love what they did. Doesn't mean that you have to love their identity, their personality. But it simply means honoring the love that you have produced inside of you in connection with that person. Number one. Number two. We get into relationships, especially when we're young, either young in age or young in various forms of psychological maturity, because the other person represents something that fills a hole we have. So, girls who are sheltered a lot in overprotective family environments will very frequently find themselves falling for, whether they actually go out with him or not, it's a different story, but falling for the bad boys. Why? Because there's this piece in them that knows they're being completely suffocated. And there's this yearning on some level for rebellion, to break free, to have anonymity. And this boy represents that. And so all over the world, Girls fall in love, and I'm sure boys do it as well. I just think the stereotype tends to work more with like an overprotected girl and a rebellious young boy. Not for anything having to do actually with the guy, but simply having to do with this hole that I'm having in me about personal freedom, personal space, personal anonymity, personal power, separation from parents. And what this guy and all of his drug-abusing, school-skipping personality embodies. But it also happens on a lot more subtle levels. That which I feel I don't have. I don't feel beautiful. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel good enough. I meet someone who says, oh, you are my everything. You are the best. You are the most beautiful. You are the most brilliant. I couldn't live without you. Well, all those holes that I was having, suddenly I'm no longer feeling them. But then we change in life. We grow. They change and it no longer fits. So we fall out of love. 
When divorce happens, it's really important, especially when there are kids, as you say, not only to not use them between each other, of course, but regardless of what you may think about the other parent, to not tell that to the child. Kids don't need to know that dad cheated on mom or mom cheated on dad. Totally unnecessary information for a young child. As they get older, conversations may arise in their own life in which you may feel free to open up about things that you didn't tell them when they were eight or nine or 10. Having as much stability as possible in parenting is important for children. That being said, kids are actually a lot more resilient than we tend to give them credit for. They can handle a divorce. What they can't handle nearly as well is the parents using them, parents playing them, parents telling them all kinds of nonsense, and the parents themselves being stressed and miserable. So as long as you can be grounded and anchored and deal with divorce proceedings in your own way, but be there for your child and help them understand that not everybody is meant to be with everybody, but that doesn't mean that mom or dad is any less wonderful of a being and to remind them mom dad really loves you even though mom and dad don't necessarily still want to live together both mom and dad still want to be with you and in terms of forgiveness whether it's a divorce or any one of all the other circumstances in our life that warrant forgiveness we do it really for one reason and one reason only. Because if you don't forgive, you can't be free. You cannot simultaneously be holding a grudge and be spiritually free. And so we forgive because regardless of what anyone has done to us, regardless even of what we've done to anyone, we deserve to be free, spiritually. Commit a crime, the court will decide you don't deserve to be free in that way. But spiritually, you deserve to be free. And that's why we forgive others and ourselves. They're going to they're gonna suffer or enjoy whatever the fruits of their karma are. Whatever their karmic package is going to bring them based on what they've done. The law of karma is perfect. Jump off a roof, you fall to the ground. Plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree. These are laws of nature. You don't need to stand over an apple tree saying, remember, better not come up oranges. It knows. Same way. Someone does something. They're going to have the 
natural karmic repercussions of that. We don't need to remind the universe about it. We don't have to be God's secretary. You know, I always say, until and unless God comes down and say, hey, do me a favor. Could you note this one down for me? Could you make sure I don't forget? Until and unless that happens, the law of karma is functional. We need to worry about our own freedom. And holding grudges, holding pain, keeps us from being free. And so we let go. But lastly, as you say, how do we make sure we don't make the same mistakes again? So forgiveness does not mean that we let go of our common sense. I may forgive someone who hurt me because I need to be free. I deserve to be free. That's my highest goal, yearning. But that doesn't mean that I leave my common sense and my brain at the door. So in, in the workplace, somebody cheats me, okay, I'm going to forgive them so that I can digest my food when I eat food, so that I can fall asleep at night without a pill, so that I can meditate without their face seared into the inside of my eyelids. But I'm not going to go into business with them again. I'm not going to lend them money again. And I may not lend anyone money for a while. I may need to make sure that I've properly developed an ability to know how to operate. And in the same way with relationship, take some time. Figure out what was it in you that led you into that situation? What holes in you was this person filling? And then, of course, what buttons did they push to trigger the fighting? Because it goes both ways. You triggered them, they triggered you. So what holes were they filling that made you think they were it? And then what buttons did they push that triggered the fighting? And then do what you can to work with both of those. So how can you fill those holes yourself? Even better, how can you realize you don't have holes? And how can you understand what those emotional triggers are? That being, of course, the emotional intelligence. But then using your spiritual intelligence to develop immunity to them. Because spirituality is not an inoculation against bad things happening. But it is a very powerful inoculation against us losing ourselves when things happen. And so you being spiritual doesn't mean nobody's going to push your buttons. They may push them even more. 
but it means that you're not going to be impacted by that. That's why relationships ideally should really be one plus one equals one rather than half and half equals one. So it's not so much I'm looking for my other half, it's I'm looking for the other whole one with whom I can experience a greater sense of oneness, with whom my oneness expands, but not whom I need to, to fill my whole. If you can be strong and okay, your kids will be fine. That's the, that's the core, core piece we know from studies on children that more than anything, the ideally happy marriage and partnership between mom and dad but otherwise, the, the stability, the grounding, the anchoring of mom and dad, if not together, then individually, is what's going to give them that. And you know what? Things happen in life. And so they learned it earlier rather than later. And it's a wonderful opportunity. I don't know how old they are, but it's a wonderful opportunity to use it to help them understand. Sometimes you really want something to work. It doesn't work. Sometimes you really try at something, but you don't succeed. Mom and dad tried at this marriage thing, couldn't make it work. But that's okay. Because in life you don't necessarily Succeed at everything you try. And maybe you'll try again, not necessarily with each other, but with someone else. You know, that you, you keep trying, that this is how life, how life moves. And what's important is that in the face of both success and failure, marriage, jobs, that our children learn we don't fall apart. You know, you hear so many stories of kids who are, kids who are no longer kids, now they're adults, but who as children were raised in horrendous circumstances, abject poverty, living on the streets. But the, the consistent line through so many of those stories is, my mom or my dad, even when there was nothing to eat, even when there wasn't a home, my mom or my dad, and it's just, it's all about that grounding, that anchoring of what the mother and or the father gave them that made being on the street, not having food bearable, not the end of the world. And then of course we have so many situations of kids born and raised in mansions with everything, but with parents who themselves are not anchored or grounded, for whom nothing is ever enough, who are never satisfied. 
And these kids end up with completely different stories. But when you listen to both of them, you typically feel like I would choose the mother or father in the first case, because that doesn't actually seem as bad. So they'll be fine, as long as you're fine. And when you're not fine, make sure you've got a really good friend circle, a support circle. Nourish yourself so that you can nourish them.